Good afternoon, this is Kyle here for the BBO Show, bringing up Hans, my co-host, then there he is. Hello, right, so uh, today we're going to do something different, let's dive straight into the show. So yesterday we started to build a sales landing page and we've determined over the week that we want to go with a sales landing page over a website because of all the reasons we discussed on Monday around why a website isn't the great Uh, place for your visitor to land when they are ready to make a purchase. And what the sales landing page allows us to do is present the uh, visitor with the solution to their problem, to let them know that they're in the right way, and then lay out this red carpet, this singular carpet in which they can walk down to then make the purchase. And when we are rolling that red carpet out, and as they walk through that red carpet, what they're going to start to see is different elements on this sales landing page. The first element, as soon as they put their foot onto a red carpet, is the header, the subheader, and then the introduction, uh, addressing their problem directly and giving them a snapshot of what they're about to experience on this sales landing page. So all of that we covered yesterday, and we spent a long time on it because it was extremely important in the very fact that this is the first place somebody lands on when they visit your site, your sales landing page, your website, whatever, this is the first thing they see on their mobile, on their desktop. And that's important. When they say iPad, it's irrelevant. The key thing is this is their first thing they see and it's critical. Otherwise, what could happen is we lose their interest very quickly and then we have something called bounce. And bounce is where this page is not for me, I am leaving. This page is overwhelming, I am leaving. And if you want to know what overwhelming versus a non-overwhelming sales page looks like, then check out uh, Monday and Tuesday, Tuesday especially, where we look at three examples and case studies of big companies out there who are doing sales landing pages well and maybe not so well. And we go and discuss that and we talk about some big, big companies. So go check that out. But today, we are now focusing on the rest of the red carpet, the rest of the sales landing page. So, Carl, over to you to now frame up today and what we will be covering. Absolutely. Yesterday was entirely about hooking the visitor on their problem statement. And at the end of yesterday, we did a bit of a reveal. We said, haha, you've got a problem. We have a solution. This is the solution. And we just got onto that point at the end of yesterday's lesson. Today, we're going to be going all in and talking about the solution. Um, this is either going to be our product or our service or our subscription or whatever the form of value is that we are offering to the visitor of this page. It is going to help them solve their problem. It's going to get them to the result that they want. So that's going to be the focus of today. Um, in particular, first, we're going to be introducing the offer. We're going to be saying, this is what we have. This is what I have to sell you. Remember, we've already gone through the problem. So this is the presentation of a solution to their problem. Specifically, we're going to be focusing on the benefits and the features of the product or the service that you're offering. We're then going to be moving through to the next part of the page, which is the call to action. We talked about this briefly on Tuesday. It is the place where we ask the visitor to the page to do something for us. Generally, this is going to be buy, buy now, or it could be sign up or get in touch with me so that we can um, do the transaction. That's going to be the call to action. We're going to talk about the best type of call to actions, what works best, where to put them, and all of that kind of stuff. Finally, 
once somebody's got to the call to action and they're still not quite over the line, we are going to include a section on our page where we are going to neutralize objections. So this is for people who they're really close, they're 80%, 90% of the way there, but they're not quite ready to press that buy button. They're not quite ready to move on to the next stage. We're going to go through and uh, proactively neutralize all the potential objections they could have and help get them over that line. So again, we're going to be looking at the offer, specifically the benefits and the features of that offer. We're going to be looking at the call to action, and then we're going to be neutralizing any objections that people may have before they make a purchase. Fantastic. So now you know what we're going to cover. Let's start with the first element, which is presenting the visitor of the page with an offer. And remember, we laid out the ground groundwork yesterday. We have alleviated the problem. We have told the visitor of the landing page that they are in the right place. And if we have done this right, they'll be nodding along saying, yes, that's my problem. And I'm really excited to see what a solution you have for me as part of your product and service offering. They will be excited to now discover more and explore further. And if we have done it right, ideally, when we address their problem directly, we will be speaking directly to the frustrations that they have felt in the past, and also maybe sharing with them the frustrations that we have felt in the past, which is why we have created and put into the market this fantastic product and service. And what's cool is we focused and honed in on using an example about selling a reasonably priced wine subscription box that pops into your house every single month. Now, caveat, that's not mine and Carl's business. We're just using that as an example. So we'll touch upon that when we explore this further in detail. So we continue that trend of giving you a live real example so that you can compare it to your own personal business. So when we talk about the wine examples, just remember this is to be translated and to be used within your own business. It's just to get your mind thinking from the abstract into the real terms. So one of the core things here is, which Carl mentioned is we have to, when we talk about presenting the offer, the best way to present this offer is to include two core elements. Number one is the features and number two is the benefits. So Carl, what are, what is a feature and what is a benefit? Sure, we're going to go into a bit of a deep dive here. This is a marketing topic that a lot of companies get wrong still, even though it's taught and people are educated about the differences between features and benefits. It's still a mistake that a lot of people make. So we're going to be showing you the difference um, and telling you which one you should be focusing on. So features are descriptive or technical details about your product. Okay. Benefits on the other side um, Benefits are what these details should mean to your user, to your visitor, to your customer. So again, we have features, they're technical details or descriptive details, whereas benefits are what do these details mean to the person who's going to be using my product. So features tell the customer what, what is it? Benefits tell them why. This is a very subtle distinction and it's important to get it right. Um, the marketing of the iPod is probably the best example and you see it used in marketing books and marketing videos a lot um i don't want to retread old ground that much but it's such a good example that i'm going to go for it um the ipod for those who don't know was not the first mp3 player in fact the first mp3 player came about three years beforehand i think it was called the mp man or something like that there were lots of others on the market there were other mp3 players that were even better 
um, they had better technical specs, um, they could store more songs, for example, had better battery life, there were better MP3 players on the market. The problem was that Creative Labs, Microsoft, and those kind of people, they talked about their MP3 players um, totally in terms of their features. Remember, most of these MP3 players were being made by IT companies like Microsoft. They are used to talking about technical features. So there was one like the Rio PMP300 that came out two or three years before. And when the Rio was talked about, they focused on the 32 megabytes of memory, the eight to 12 hours of playback on a single AA battery, uh, the bit rate of 128 uh, kbits per second, etc. These are features, technical specifications. Um, the iPod came along, and instead of talking about the bit rate or its storage capacity, Steve Jobs, instead, he came out on the stage, he took the iPod out of his pocket, and he said, a thousand songs in your pocket. That was it. That was the slogan that propelled the iPod to become the dominant player in the market, because he did not focus on the features. He didn't focus on yeah, the bit rate or how large the hard drive was. He talked about the benefit this is the why you should care. Now people know, oh, I can take a thousand of my favorite songs anywhere I go. You know, they can think about all the albums they can carry with them on road trips. They can think about, you know, going camping and being able to listen to Alanis Morissette or whatever it is. It's about the benefit for the user rather than, oh, this has a, a hard drive refresh rate of whatever milliseconds. Um, that was the key difference. He talked about the benefits rather than the features and then went on to take the marketplace. Absolutely. And it's all about very much speaking to the person's problem and presenting them the solution that most appeals to them at the core of their humanness. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a 128 kilobyte, whatever that is, uh, per second. Okay, so so what does that mean when I listen to the audio? So it's moving away from that particular grimy gritty feature which yeah you may have to put as part of your product description but what does the what is the benefit of that what is the benefit of 128 kilobytes per second audio that's what they all failed to introduce so now let's look at features and benefits as part of our fake wine business as an example and we can do this by looking at that case study and expanding on that case study and describing the wine business first in its feature form and then explaining how can we turn these features into benefits and it's extremely powerful for you to grasp this concept because if you do you'll be able to speak to your customers desires directly so it's extremely powerful so let's start with what we might talk about and i'm glancing down at my, my notes here because this is a completely fake wine company so we've got completely fake features but they could be considered real so let's have a look at the features of a wine company that has a reasonably priced subscription service that delivers wine to customers every single month. So feature number one is it is a monthly delivery. So we send out the box every single month. Feature number two, there's six bottles per delivery chosen from six wine growing regions. That's feature number two of our service. Feature number three is bottles are chosen by our experts. Okay, that's feature number three. And then finally, the fourth feature is there's no contract and you can cancel any time. Now, this is great. Okay, so this is one approach that we can take. We can go ahead and list these features. And most but, companies do this. Correct. This, this is the standard form of trying to describe your value is just to say exactly what it does. It's saying this is 
what it does this is like describing the tin you know exactly mm. what it does uh, on the tin it says what it does on the tin yeah you'll have six boxes in a cardboard box arriving at your door every, every month so it's very descriptive but what it also does is yes it tells you what you're going to get but it's very much again focused on the i is in, in terms of this is what we as a company will do versus flipping it on its head now and thinking about the customer and what what do they really want to hear what are they going to experience from these features what are it says in the word what is the benefit of these four features that we've just listed so carl if you cover two i'll cover the second two sure so the feature monthly delivery what does that mean to me so monthly means it's a regular supply i don't need to worry about running out that's a benefit for me it's one less thing for me to have to worry about i don't have to put it on my shopping list again that's a benefit delivery Delivery means they're going to bring it to me. I do not need to go to the wine shop. Maybe the wine shop's a long way away. Maybe, uh, you know, I'm busy. Maybe I'm at work until late. I can't get to the wine shop. This saves me time. It saves me energy because they're bringing the wine to me. So monthly delivery, we can go in multiple directions there with the benefits. Um, Second one here is, okay, six bottles from six different regions. That's a feature. Great. What this means for me as the consumer, as the customer, is it means I get to try a lot of different wines from different regions. I get variety, I get novelty. These are key human drives, and this is a great benefit for me as the end user. Great. And one question you may, you may be thinking is, okay, why do we have to list this out? Isn't this obvious to the customer? Well, actually, no, it's not obvious at all because it's actually requiring us to engage a different part of our brain, a different part of our psyche. So we have to paint the picture of the benefits, just like Carl said, it's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. It's, it's less, one less thing to worry about. So it is critical that we list this out and make it as easy for the customer to understand what the benefit is, because you say, because they may not put two and two together. They may not put the fact that a monthly delivery means they never have to worry about running out of wine again. It's like bang, automatic. They may not put two and two together, but they may just think monthly delivery, do I need that? Well, actually you do if you never want to run out of wine again. So that might trigger a memory. Maybe they're thinking about the last dinner party they had Mm. and they went down to the basement or whatever to get another bottle of wine and boom, there's no wine there. They're in the middle of a dinner party. They're entertaining. Yeah, they're not going to go out and get another bottle of wine. So by reminding them, hey, this means you're never going to run out of wine, you are potentially triggering those kind of emotional responses. Exactly. So let's have a look at the other feature, which is bottles chosen by our experts. So what does this actually mean to the customer? Well, number one is, you know, they can relax knowing that they're in safe hands. They're in expert hands, specialized hands. And it's again, something else they don't need to worry about. The other thing is they can also be rest assured that they're going to be enjoying the best wine hand selected. Um, So hand selected potentially at the source, hand selected by people who have trained for decades on this particular subject. So it allows another benefit maybe allows your wine selection to stand out from your friends because yours was selected by experts. Your friends just walked down to the local Tesco, Sainsbury's, Audi, there's a UK superstores and just picked it based on whatever the label said. And now you set yourself apart. You know, you're, you're, you're playing with the experts. You're in the expert world. And then the final one, which is a really big one, which is no contract. Now I see this feature plastered on so many websites, but what does that mean for the customer? Well, one of the obvious things is 
it becomes non-risky. You know, there's no there's no lock-in. There's no feeling of being locked into something which can't be stepped out of. Um, so it allows them to easily make the choice, and this could be a benefit, easily uh, select your wine boxes or subscribe to the service and easily stop the service if it's not for you. So that makes it, it's okay, I can step in and out of the service really easily without being tied in. And also save money if the wines don't suit you, you know, so you're not locked in for 12 months. So these are some examples. And again, remember, this is a fake company. But what we're trying to do is get you thinking and put you in the shoes of the buyer. What are the benefits for them? So now let's talk about the fact that there may be potentially multiple benefits per feature and why this is actually the case. And as you can see, we've listed multiple benefits. So Carl, why is this the case? So this is because features are what the product is. They are specifications of the product. They don't really change very much. Whereas a benefit is what these features mean to the customer. So that's going to be subjective. The same feature might mean very different things to different customers. For example, I'm going to just use the example there of bottles are chosen by experts. Oh, that's great for me because I get to have fancy wines. My friends don't have fancy wines because they've just gone to Tesco's. That may be a benefit for some people where, you know, social status or, um, you know, competitiveness is, is something that means a lot for them and that's fine that's um, a benefit for them whereas for other people it's not they just want to make sure they know um, that they have the highest quality wine it's going to be different for different people uh, for example for home delivery uh, home delivery is the feature that's the feature the company is offering what that feature means to the people who are receiving it the customers is different uh, for steve it's a benefit because he's got kids uh, young kids and going out to a fancy wine shop to talk to the sommelier while his kids are knocking over the wine displays and stuff like that. That's just not feasible. So he cannot do it, but he wants to have good quality wines. And then Mabel, uh, home delivery is great for her because she lives quite a distance away from the nearest uh, decent wine shop. She's only got a bicycle. So the idea of going out and getting, you know, 12 bottles of wine or six bottles of wine is just not feasible. It's too heavy. It's too much to get home. So home delivery is going to be a benefit in different ways for Steve and Mabel, depending on their personal uh, circumstances. So features are always going to be the same, whereas the benefits are going to be subjective. Great. Now, the next question that may be on the listeners' minds, and it's a, it's a very valid one, which is how do we find these benefits? You know, we can't, we can't, uh, maybe if we're a startup or as our first sales page, we can't necessarily get out to the Steve's and the Mabel's and find out exactly what their benefit is. So what's a process in which we can go through in order to find out what these benefits are? Now, this is going to be a, a, whether you have a group you trust or it's your business partners or it's the creative people within your company or it's yourself with a journal and a piece of paper. And what we're going to do is keep asking ourselves the question, and this is a couple of powerful questions around uh, your features. And these questions are, the question that we're going to continue to ask is, number one is, why is this important? That's what we, so every time we ask the feature, the question is going to be repeated. Why is this important? And then we're going to say, so why is this important? And we're going to continue to ask a question uh, as, as, uh, as far as we can take it until we've explored all of the benefits and got to the root benefit, the right at the core of the problem that somebody may be facing. And we may have more than one. So let's go through an example. Yeah. So 
our bottles are chosen by experts. Okay, so I did so, say, so what? Why is that important? Great. So that you so that you know that these are good choices. So that's me responding to Carl. Okay. Um, so what? Mm, okay. So Carl said, okay, so so why is this important? So I say, so you never get a duff bottle. You never get a whack wine. Why is this important? So you don't waste money. There we go. So we've gone from our bottles are chosen to experts to suddenly there's a benefit there which is economically, the the customer is not going to waste money on bad wine. Mm. Um, so we've managed to hone it down from a feature. Our bottles are chosen by experts to, oh, you won't waste money, which is a benefit for a customer. Great. Um, and, and, you, and you'll realize that we didn't include that in the first example, but that came out by working through this process. And don't waste money on another bad bottle of wine is an incredible benefit because mm. wasting money there is saving somebody money so that can be rephrased as well depending on who your audience is but yeah that's that's a great exercise to go through and you can keep going with this kind of thing as well so so you don't waste money is where we got to as our last one but then i can ask so why is that important and we Mm. keep going keep going keep going and the further you go the closer you get to like real core human drives it tends to be like fear and love and stuff like that like you can get to really deep levels you don't necessarily need to go that far Mm. but the deeper you go the more insight you're going to get into um, how your customer can be reacting to your features yeah so my wife doesn't kick my ass like that so we want to get to those sort of areas and then select what do you think is most applicable or what do you think is right to put on your sales landing page and again you can have multiple benefits per feature and that's the magical thing of it we can get to talk to many different people psyches scenarios and life circumstances so now coming back to another question which is we've discussed features we've discussed benefits websites do features websites do benefits but which do we choose which one is more important um and this is an age-old debate and the answer is it depends so carl what, what how can we elaborate on that Sure. So generally things like marketing for cars and technology uh, goes very heavy, heavily feature focused. So think of like the new iPhone. What are we on now? I don't even know. 10? iPhone 11. Yeah. What, iPhone the, 11. Actually, in fact, I, I don't even know. It's probably indicative of this. The, the jump between like an iPhone 7 and an iPhone 8 or between an iPhone 10 and an iPhone 11, it's not that big. Like a lot of the big work has already been done by the early iPhones. So it's incremental changes. So that means Apple now focus on features. They focus on, oh, it's a bit thinner or the battery life lasts a bit longer. So instead of being like Steve Jobs and stepping on the stage and saying, hey, boom, a thousand songs in your pocket. Now with things like the iPhone and iPod, if they still do them, I don't know. um, It's very much feature-based. And you see this a lot with IT um, cars, as just mentioned, and technology. So a lot of websites also go in this direction. A lot of businesses do tend to overemphasize the features, overemphasize, um, you know, the quality and the build of their particular, of what they've created. They're proud of it, and that's fine. They talk about what they have done, what they have created, um, and they tend to de-emphasize the benefits. So as a response to that, a lot of marketing people have said, no, no, you need to entirely focus on the benefits. Um, people don't care about features. They don't care about the size of your hard drive, etc. Um, you need to talk about what this means to people. In truth, you need balance. You need both of them. Uh, features alone is not enough because 
I mean, you've probably seen this with the more recent iPhone advertising, for example. People are like, yeah, so what? Like, mm. my iPhone tends to, it's, it's thin enough, or the camera resolution is high enough. Like, why, why, why do I care? Why is this? Anything? Why is it another millimeter or a zero point something of a millimeter is not going to change in my life now, not for a thousand pounds. So, yeah. yeah, they are. And so what? Yeah. yeah. So, but when I got my first iPhone, that was like mind blowing. That's changed how we interact with the world. That's a massive uh, shift, huge benefits there. The switch between a 10 and 11, eh, yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> if you're offering a free upgrade, yeah, sure. But otherwise, features tend to elicit that so what kind of uh, attitude, unless you are an early adopter or you're really into tech. And that's why you tend to see it in tech and cars a lot, because the people really enjoy feature stuff there. Um, but then again, if you just focus on benefits, that's also lacking. You can't just sell a feeling. You can't just sell... Um, Know, a warm, fuzzy uh, glow that this product is going to give you. You need to back that up with the features. So you mm. need a combination of the two. You need to be able to say, okay, this is what it does. This is uh, this is the feature. This is what uh, the product does. This is how we think it's going to make you feel. Um, but this is they're backed up together. You need both of them. Yeah. So 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 that's a really good point. So the best output, certainly when starting your sales landing page is to combine the features and benefits to have them both appear and tell the story in a natural way. So one method is, you know, you just list all the features and then you list all the benefits. So you list all the benefits, then you list all the features. I see people doing this as well. They're like features, mm. bullet points, and they have them and then benefits, bullet points. Actually, I think uh, the American Express website had that the other day, yeah. like features yeah. and benefits. So they've obviously read a marketing textbook and they're like, yep, we need, <laughs> we need features and benefits. It's fine, but we can be a bit more intelligent about this. Yes. Yeah. And we can also make it easier for the customer to just to come on that flow with us. Remember, the sales landing page is a natural flow to get them closer to making a buying decision. So a suggestion is, and you can use this if you would like, is your headline should your headline should be a key benefit. So one headline represents one key benefit then off that benefit are the features that support that benefit, that provide evidence to back up that particular benefit. Um, so that's the, that is a better suggestion. Think of it as a one-two combo punch. Think of it as um, here's a benefit and here's a feature to back it up. Here's a benefit, here's a feature to back it up. So think about having them uh, sit side by side. And some sales landing pages will take these benefits and then you can pair an image with it. You can make it stand out like this is benefit and feature number one, benefit and feature number two. And then you can then list it out like that. So it, it becomes a lot easier for somebody to digest. Otherwise, if you do it the other way where there's features, there's benefits. Now, somebody's trying to trying their best to understand how to pair these features with these benefits. And yes, it works, but it's not making it as easy as possible for the visitor of the landing page. So now they know this, Kyle, what, what is their work now? How can they actually create these features and benefits for their own sales landing page, uh, working through some sort of exercise? Sure. So there's a couple of steps here. The first step is go ahead and collect up all your product features and specifications. You know what your product is. You probably already have a list of features. It might already be what you're using to market your product. So go ahead and collect up all those product features, size, shape, build quality, um, or if it's a book, how many pages, for example, um, all of the different features that your product or your service uh, 
include. So start with that. Step two, we're going to go through each feature and we're going to do the why is that important exercise. We want to go down at least three levels if you can. Um, so keep asking why is that important three times and note down all of the answers. And it's going to be a mixture of features and benefits um, as you go through that list. Um, then we're going to take, sorry, as the third step, we're going to take all of that work and we're going to convert it. So the end result here is we want basically a headline, which would be the key benefit. And then it's going to have three or four or five bullet points underneath with the related features and benefits underneath. Okay. Um, so that's so, going to be a very strong uh, structure. Great. So again, anchoring back to our fake wine business, subscription wine box business, let's work through an example. Now I've got something on the notes here, which is, okay, step one, which Carl said, which was start with the feature. So let's select one of the features. And here's one of our features of our fake company. If you don't like one of the bottles, we will send uh, you a refund for that bottle. Simple. So that's one of the features. Now, step two is to extract the benefit from that feature. So what do we do? We ask that powerful question, why is this important? And our suggestion is to ask that three times. That will get you close enough to a core benefit. Don't need to go any further than that, but also to shallow uh, means it's not really the true benefit there. So, okay, let's, let's work that as an example. Uh, so why is this important? because we don't want you to have to pay for a bottle you don't like. Mm, okay, so what? Because we're the experts and the whole point is we send you good bottles. Okay, so what? Because we believe you deserve the best wine in the world and shouldn't be shortchanged. And we're going to ask you one more time, so what? Why is this important? And then the final answer we get to is because we respect you. Amazing. So now we're going to take that and try to put it in a formulaic approach. And what we mean by that in this sense is rearranging it so it's it's so natural for the reader and it hooks them. So let's take that benefit, which is we respect you. So if you remember from the previous section, we said we're going to take one benefit and position it as one core benefit. And underneath that, we're going to have a feature benefit sort of combo going on. So we take that statement we respect you, which is the benefit. And then underneath that, we've got three bullet points, which is our, which is us rearranging this as part of a formulaic approach. So we're starting with a question. If you remember from yesterday, question was very powerful. Don't like the bottle. We'll refund you the price of the bottle feature. You deserve the best wines in the world benefit. We're the experts. So it's on us if we send you a clunker benefit. So now we've got this feature benefit combo, but anchored to the root benefit, which is we respect you. So hopefully this example will help you um, help you explore what that means for your business. So we're still outlining the core feature here, which is you will get your money back if you don't like a particular bottle. That's the feature. We've just made this way more powerful because we've hooked it to some deep emotions, things like we respect you. There is a mutual respect here. So instead of, oh, we're going to give you your money back, we're, we're, we're going way deeper and we're creating something that's going to be a lot more compelling to people who come on the page. We're hitting the emotional as well as the technical aspects of the sale. As a very quick aside, um, remember we're talking about writing the copy first and then doing the design. It's going to be a lot easier to find visual imagery, which, um, which is about respect. 
which is about um, mutual appreciation um, and tying that imagery to this particular benefit and feature rather than a, an image or a video of if you don't like a bottle, we'll refund you for that bottle. That would be, I don't know, a picture of somebody packing it up and sending it back to you, which is not a very attractive image, whereas we respect you. That allows you to be visually a lot more interesting. Maybe it's you and one of your customers laughing and uh, enjoying a glass of wine together, whatever it is. It gives you a lot more to work with. Mm, absolutely. So for your page, go through this exercise, go through this process, go and analyze your product and your service and extract the features. The more you can do, the better. Each will become, you know, when, when you then highlight these headline benefits, each will become a really powerful part of your sales landing page. It becomes its own section rather than cramming it into Here's four or five features. Here's four or five benefits. Features, benefits. Da, 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 da. That's what most people do. Bullet point a list. Don't do that. We're going to take the time to expand. Yeah. So right now, um, just get them into this format, just a rough format. Put it into a Google Doc, Word Doc, however you process. It could be written on a piece of paper. And that's the key here. We just want to work through the exercise and get this information down. So we spent a lot of time on this first section because it's it's also and i it's also the process of rewiring the listeners marketers business owners uh, salespeople because a lot of people have an over bias towards either a feature you could be the product creator so you're obsessed with the features you could be the salesperson so you know that i couldn't give a damn about these features i need to get across the benefits to the customer as soon as i can so you as a business owner can spend this time to bring both of these departments together, whether they're metaphorical in your life or whether these actually exist and get this down on paper. So we've got this one, two punch combo when it comes to features and benefits, and then they can live as separate entities and then you can refine them as time goes by. Now that is features and benefits. Now let's talk about the other element which we said we'll describe to you and that is the call to action. So this is element number two. Remember, we're talking about the offer. That's the benefits and the features. Then we're going to be talking about the call to action, which is number two. And then we're going to be talking about um, neutralizing objections. So we're now moving into part two, the call to action. Um, so we've actually set up the bulk of the page already because remember yesterday, that was all about the problem statement. That was all about getting the visitor on board with the fact that we know what their problem is and moving them towards this idea that we have the solution. Um, we have now presented the solution, including its product features and its benefits, as we've just discussed for the last half an hour. Now we're going to bring that sale home. We've done the groundwork. So we are now bringing people from problem to solution to saying, okay, this is what you need to do. This is the call to action um, or the CTA, which we call it because it's a bit shorter than call to action. This is where we bring the sale home. Um, we talked about CTAs in a bit more detail on Tuesday. We looked at some good CTAs. Uh, Monday.com, for example, had a really good one. Uh, Airbnb, the host page, had a really good one too. Uh, Amex, we decided, didn't really have a call to it. Didn't well, it had lots of call to actions, but they were all hidden, and it was confusing where you should go. Um, so go back to Tuesday and watch that video if you want to see some live examples. But the basis of what a call to action is is that it's something that is asking the visitor now that they've gone through everything they've read everything they've done all the passive work we're now asking them to do something 
So most websites will just let people wander around. Uh, you're on the sales page, you kind of see something that's kind of cool, but oh, wow, they've got a blog. I'm going to go check out the blog. Or, oh, they want me to sign up to their newsletter. Uh, maybe maybe later, or, I'm going to go and have a look at this. You can wander around a website. Instead, we have a sales page where we're saying, here's the problem you have, here's the solution. Now it's time for you to make a decision. You're going to have to act. And that's what oh, the call to action is. That's it. So let's now talk about what makes up a great call to action um, and we've just defined it we've made it really simple for you that it needs to include these three things and ideally also in this order now the first thing is there must be a singular action there must only be a singular call to action so the best way to describe this is by discussing what a non-singular call to action looks like so imagine you come to a website like american express and you present them with the fact that you like them to buy so there's a button for buy there's also a button or a box which says sign up to the newsletter and then there's something which says um, if you don't want to buy right now you can join the free trial and if you're not ready to do that or and in addition to come and join the facebook group now what can happen on a page is that there is a temptation to provide now you're like, okay, I've got my visitor to the page. I'm excited. I want to share all of this stuff with them. It's all great value. And it is. But you're going to make the decision-making process very confusing for them, overwhelming, and uh, make them not understand what's the most important thing to do next. Remember, we've got them to a point, features and benefits, the headline, the, the direct address to make a decision. And the decision to be singular. So you just have one button, which Monday.com and Airbnb did very well. So that's the first one, Carl. That is singular. Make there, make it only one single thing the person can do. Mm -hmm. So the second one is going to be, once we know what our singular call to action is, we need to make sure that it is visible. So there's one action, and we need to make sure that that is an extremely visible and easy to find call to action. Normally, this will mean having buttons, um, so very visually uh, visually visible, that's not very helpful, um, uh, physical elements on the page. So we saw on monday.com, they used a color of the button which really popped against the background. So it's extremely, um, it extremely easy to draw the eye of the visitor to that call of action. That's one way to do it. Another way is to have multiple call to actions across the page. So you might have it in your header. You might have it at the uh, in a navigation bar that follows people down the page. You might have one at the bottom of the page. You might have another button in the middle of the page. You need to make sure that when your visitor has decided to act, they do not need to search through the page in order to find the button that moves them onto the next section. And this happens again and again and again. We see this quite often. You need to make sure that that action is as easy as possible for them. Mm. And that is the third thing, which is make the action as easy as possible and make the action, uh, the result of the action, say what it does in the tin. So if your action, typically, for example, if it's B2B and there's large enterprise contracts involved, or you want a relationship with one company, business to another business, then it may be a contact us page. So if the call to action button says contact us and they click that, then a contact form should come up. Or even better, using using the call tech out there now, a chat box opens and says, hey, you can contact us immediately. Would you like to speak to us now? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are 
a company and you're selling a low cost item or an ebook or a digital product and it's something from 5 10 15 20 pound or you're selling a video course even if it's 100 200 300 pound and you want the transaction to be done via a conventional credit card method or via paypal or something like that then the button should say purchase now or buy now or join now and that button should then take them to a payment part or add to the cart. If you're going to add to the cart, again, it should say what it does in the tin. The button should say add product to the cart, and then the cart may appear. But typically, we're having a singular page which has one action you would like them to do. So there shouldn't actually be multiple things to purchase. So narrowing down back on that, if, they, if, if the button says buy now, that should take them immediately to a page or uh, something pops up where they can input their credit card details so they can make that purchase now in this in the sense of our subscription box it may a fake wine subscription service it may say subscribe now as soon as they click that we want to be taking payment so that's important it's about setting expectations and in a weird way it's about making a small promise and then sticking to that promise the promise is if you click this button you can purchase now and button says purchase now and then they can go on and purchase now so i think i've labored that point enough um, i think it's also worth adding you should always use the simplest call to action you can possibly get away with so if it's a 10 pound purchase you don't want them having to call you up on the telephone to complete the purchase mm. it should just be boom on the page they can buy it that works uh, an online purchase will work for subness 10 pound 100 pound um actually the limit of that is probably tesla you can buy a tesla car online with your credit card on their website i don't know how many people do that most people would go into a showroom but the you need to know how most people will transact how most people will follow uh, through with the call to action and then use the simplest possible uh, way to do that the one with the least friction yeah well they certainly talking about tesla they certainly take the thousand pound deposit which is refundable via their website. Uh, so I think, you can, I think you can buy the whole thing on it now. Yeah, 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 you can, yeah. So uh, be interesting to that. <laughs> That's well, a way to change an industry. Yeah. Um, but I think I think the main message here is, look, if, if you've got one singular call to action and it's scattered across the page, then you're ahead of the game. That's what we really want you to do here. We've obviously added uh, these three things that make up a great call to action. But simply what we're saying is, you have this same call to action uh, spreaded strategically across the page. And we discussed that yesterday and the day before, where's a good place to place a call to action. That's it. That's it. That's all, that's all we want from this section. You don't have to overthink it anymore. So on that note, let's move on to the next section, which is neutralizing objections and taking a, a customer's assumed objection and neutralizing it. So what does that mean, Kyle? So at this point, somebody's read through the problem statement. They've read through the solution, your product, the offer, um, the solution, sorry, the benefits and the features. They've got to the price. They've got to the call to action. Uh, they've seen everything they need to see, but they're not quite ready to click on that call to action. They're not quite ready to act yet. Um, this is because they're going to have some objections. And we're going to use this uh, final section of the page to neutralize any objections they have. Um, basically, we've laid down all our cards. They know the deal. If they're ready to buy, they would have already bought. If they hate what you've shown them, they would have already left the page. The people left just have some questions that we need to answer. Once we answer those questions, we should be able to move them through to becoming a purchaser or through to completing the action. 
And that's the key. So one of the mechanisms we can we can use in order to do this, which is a cracking mechanism, is a frequently asked question section as part of your sales landing page. And, you know, frequently asked questions are also uh, featured in uh, tech support or uh, manuals or document manuals, but we can extract the learnings from that, put it onto our sales landing page and essentially answer typical questions that the customer may have. Now, there's a spoiler here, which is, look, it may not be exactly what your customers uh, have asked, but actually written by the uh, company. And if you do this in a very strategic way, you could think about what are the typical questions that may arise and what information has been omitted from this landing page so far or what questions typically may come up. And of course, genuine questions will come up in the future, but you can preempt that by saying, what what would a typical customer ask? And then you can start writing. Now, we'll give you an example in a minute, but the best FAQs are also geared to selling the product within answering the question. So if somebody gives you an objection and anybody in sales will know this, the answer is the product. The answer of, to the objection is in buying the product. So that's something just to bear in mind. That's a sales mechanism. So you can explore that as we go forward as well. Yep. So uh, let's use an example. I think that's the easiest way. So mm. let's say the question is, what happens if I go on holiday and I can't receive my box of wine? So you've probably had this. If you have any delivery services, you come home and you've got a box of moldy vegetables. It's an annoying thing to have. So this is an objection somebody might have and they don't want to sign up um, because sometimes they're not going to be at home and it's annoying to have things delivered uh, on a, a monthly basis. So we would use the answer, no problem. Uh, we have an easy to access pause button in your profile where you can immediately pause delivery as many months as you need. So we're now actually highlighting a feature and a benefit within our product. Um, and we're using our answer to their question to highlight this additional features and the benefit to them. Mm, absolutely. So that's one way we can do it. Another way we can do it is get really aggressive with this and handle a customer's objection. For example, here's a question. Couldn't I just check your monthly published list and go buy the wines myself? Okay, so here's us answering as a fake wine subscription company. Yes, we do publish the list of wines we distribute each month as we love talking with our community about wine because we buy from distributors in bulk, our boxes actually work out cheaper than buying these wines at retail in your typical shops. And that's cool. So what's powerful about that? We answer the question directly, which is, yeah, of course you can do that. And we love doing that. But you have the risk by paying more money by doing that yourself. So we actually handle that. And here's another benefit here. We can present another benefit is which we're saving you money. So that's an aggressive way, which I mentioned at the start, which is, handling the objection, but also reminding them that the solution to their question is in the product. So that's one way to do it. So what's the to do here for them if they want to get together their FAQ? Sure. I think if you go back to your list of features and benefits and then put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's really negative, somebody, a nitpicker, um, go through each of them and try to come up with annoying questions. Um, I don't know of another way to 
to phrase this, but like you're a negative person come to the site who's thinking, oh yeah, but what about this and this? Your worst customer. Yeah. Just imagine your worst customer walks through the door. Somebody who comes and asks all those questions and you're like, okay, here they come, here it comes. <laughs> and you're just going to stand there and you're going to politely answer them and you're going to continue to extol uh, the benefits and the features of your product because you know they're strong. Um, if there are any questions that you come up with which you can't answer, then that might be something you want to look at uh, for your business moving forward. That's an aside. But the basic um, purpose of this exercise is to be your worst customer, ask all these annoying questions, and then come up with answers um, where where you are answering them honestly and saying, um, yep, that's correct, but that's not actually true because, and then give them more benefits, more features of your product. Yeah. And at no time do you say this is not right for you. That's not what we want to do here. We want to always sell them the product. Remember, they're there on your page and they visited your page to purchase. So all we're doing here is just handling those, those just niggly things they may have, which may be putting them off clicking that call to action. And by answering these questions, 99% of people are like, oh, actually, they just answered my question. Perfect. That's the only challenge I had with this product. I'm now good to buy. Yeah. But by putting yourself in the worst customer's shoes, we handle everybody who's who's leading up to that point. So that's a good way to do it. Now, another thing we spoke about, okay, let's just take a, a second to pause and reset in regards to what have we what have we put on our sales landing page so far? So we've got the headline, we've got the direct address, we've got we've one two punch combo, we've combined the features and benefits, we've now presenting them with call to actions. We've also put in an FAQ guide to directly handle objections via Q&A method. Now, what's one of the last things which is extremely powerful? So well done if you stayed to this stage of the BBO show, because this is something which is critical. It's almost very common now, um, but it's really important to get it right as well. And that is one of the final components as part of our sales page, which is social proof. You say it's very common, but I think that's because we spend a lot of time looking at good uh, web pages. True. Um, it's still something that is not used enough. So social proof, we did look at on Tuesday. Um, um, we looked in particular at Airbnb. They use a lot of social proof to show that being an Airbnb host is safe. They refer to people who are Airbnb hosts and use that sh social proof in order to uh, convince the the visitor to the page. So there are three types of social proof we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the first one is testimonials from your customers. So this is you go and ask your customer to what they think and then you print um, or you have a video of your customer saying these things on your page. That is somebody who's actually your customer, somebody who actually has your product saying to your visitors on the website, hey, this is pretty good, you should sign up. Um, so mm -hmm. testimonials. And that can be written or video or audio. So it can be in any kind of format. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the second would be reviews from third party websites. So it's no good just kind of <laughs> making up reviews. Don't make up reviews for sure. But it's also no good having um, reviews from your customers on your website. It's not that powerful. If you have reviews from Google or reviews from Trustpilot or um, if you're a restaurant from, gosh, Yellow Pages, who does? Uh, yeah, yell, yell yeah, yell.com. Yeah, yell.com yell. or something like that. So places where anybody can come and review your your business. If you have lots of five-star reviews, fantastic. You want to be publishing them on your website because that's all social proof. 
Yeah, because I think what's happening online now, now more and more people are purchasing online is that they become skeptical about is the is a review true, valid? Is it a real person? Is it an actual person? Most don't, but we are seeing that trend. So third party sites like Google reviews or Trustpilot have built a business on the fact of making sure the reviewer is verified, an actual customer, Amazon does this very well, um, an actual customer, a real human being, like you've got to verify that you are an actual person, you've got a real email address. So that adds a lot of kudos to your product. So if you're in the early days and you're expecting a lot of volume, you may want to go to a third party site immediately because it may give an extra bit of clout and also they handle a lot of the compliance stuff as well. So that third party sites are very much growing and becoming the norm as part of business operation. Yep. And then the third one, which we also looked up on Tuesday is, especially if you are in the service sector or B2B, if you can list out all the companies you've worked with or all the clients you've worked with, this is again, just social proof, you're name dropping, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we looked at monday.com and they name dropped the fact that they work with Uber, with the BBC, uh, I think Hulu and some other big well-known companies. And again, the idea here is, okay, I don't necessarily know how good your product is. I don't know how good you are as a company, but if you work with Uber, if you work with BBC and they trust you, then I should probably trust you. It's probably worthwhile me buying your product. Yeah. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And them has to be somebody bigger, greater, an enterprise, a name somebody knows. Um, So what's the to do here? And it's mainly going to be a collection, a gathering process. And the more we have, the better it's going to be for the design phase. So the more we can give your designer, or if you're creating your sales page yourself, the more reviews, the better, because there's no harm in stacking lots and lots and lots of positive reviews. And that can be done in different, different ways. And we may show you some examples of that on Friday, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at testimonials, so let's just quickly break these down. Our testimonials, video is the best. Okay, that's the best testimony you can get. It's a real person who's shot a video and sharing their experience. Again, it's, custom- hard, it's hard to fake. So it's the same as yeah. reviews. If you've actually got somebody who's filming themselves talking about how good your product is, maybe they're waving your product around. And they've got a bottle of your wine um, that they take out of your box. That's really hard to fake. And people people find it hard to trust online. So we need to help them with that trust process. Yeah. So the best kind of review is video. Then the next best kind of review is text with a photo, which again is text, but it shows that the text is written by a real person. Like, oh, I can see their face. It's real. It's not, they're not photoshopped or anything. They're just a real person. The next best thing is text. And remember, all of these are fine, but we're just ranking them in, in what's best. Now, the video is hardest to get, the text is easiest to get. So that's typically the order in which we would recommend you collect your reviews. And this could be an amalgamation. You could have some videos, some text with photo, and you could have some text, just depending on how or who actually gave you a video, who gave you text with a photo, and it's also permission-based as well. So that's testimonials. Uh, reviews, we sort of mentioned it, but it's worth just re-clarifying how we can do that. Yeah, so they should definitely be from third-party sites like Amazon, Trustpilot, Google Reviews, Yelp, um, whatever the particular review site for your industry is. Um, For now, just again, we're collecting, we're gathering, so collect up the links uh, to those reviews. So each of those review services will have a page 
which is your business's page. Just grab those links for now. Absolutely. And then the final one is companies. What you just simply need to do here is either list out or grab the logos of the companies that you've worked with in the past and just put them in this section, in the social social proof section. Now, if you can have all three of these, and remember, the more the better here, and we can also have these positioned either in one section, either social proof section, but imagine your sales page has these three elements that we've discussed, and they're spread throughout the page. So you could have video testimonials as part of one section, then you could have written testimonials with a photo as part of another section, and then also the companies you've worked with as part of another section, and a third-party review site, which is also verifying your product in another section. Now, that is mega. And don't get me wrong, it's hard work to get to that stage, but you can build up to that. The big thing is now, by watching today's show, you're now aware that that is possible, and that is what we should be including on the sales landing page. So now you can include that within your strategic approach around your bigger business function so that we actually get those at some point in the future and just add them when they come and when they're applicable. So hopefully that's that's helped. Um, and, and if you're not con- collecting reviews and testimonials yet, this is a good reason to do so for your business. Absolutely. So, wow. Okay, we have covered a hell of a lot today. And why it's been important is because we started building the sales landing page yesterday and we finished the sales landing page today. So what you've now got is a full understanding of what elements should go on your sales landing page, why, how they should be presented, and what you need to do in order to actually get all of those items in place. So we've given you some exercises, some tools, um, some some places to go visit, e.g. Trustpilot. When it comes to putting together your features and benefits, you're going to work through this exercise. You're going to ask that powerful question to extract the benefit, which is, why is this important? So what? So what? So what's the point of that? And that's incredibly powerful. Plus, we've covered call to actions. We've covered using FAQs to handle people's objections. And that's a lot. So once we have all of these components making up your sales page, not only does a visitor know they're in the right place, they have one pathway in order to go ahead and purchase your product. We made the whole process so much easier and simpler for them and made them more confident and feel comfortable to go purchase. We've directly spoke to their problem and given them a solution. So that is what we've covered so far, certainly over the last couple of days. Carl, what are we doing tomorrow to close off this week? Tomorrow we're going to pull together all of this amazing material that we have been working on for the last two days. We're going to be showing you how you would go about building the page yourself. Or if you're not particularly technical or you don't have the time, and that's absolutely fine, how you would go about finding somebody to put it together for you. Now, rest assured, we've already done a lot of the hard work. Remember, we focused on the copy first, the copywriting, the text of the page. That's because this is the skeleton around which everything else is built. The rest of the page hangs from this skeleton, and we've already done that. So you've done a lot of the hard work. Absolutely. So that's it. That's it from today. And we shall see you tomorrow. Remember to subscribe to the show. Remember that we've got a Slack group where me and Carl hang out. And that's the best place to ask us your burning questions. That's completely free. And those in the link description below. We've also got a show notes page. 
a web player page where you can come and check out the show, the quick snapshot notes, and even see a full transcript of what we're describing. So especially this week, if you're looking to extract some of the examples that we've presented as part of our fake wine subscription company, then that's the best place to go. And you can find that at bbo.show. You just type that in, bbo.show, and the show notes page will appear. And that's it for today. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow as myself and Kyle signing out.